With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is in no way affiliated with the Stars Production or Diana Gabaldon. All views expressed are solely our own. Welcome to the Outlander Podcast, where the men are kilted, the women are winsome, and the whiskey is neat. Welcome to episode 236 of the Outlander Podcast. I'm Ginger. And I'm Summer, and we are in love with all things Outlander. This episode is part of our Drums of Autumn read-along. To find out more and how to participate, visit outlanderpod.com slash D-O-A. And now, on to our read-along. This week, we will be discussing chapters 11 and 12... We're going to start with chapter 11, entitled The Law of Bloodshed. Farkard Campbell arrives to River Run, covered in dust and sweat. He had been riding hard to get there. He reports that there was an accident at the sawmill, and he wants to take Claire. No, he doesn't. Excuse me. Well, at first, you don't know this, though. And he asks about Claire, but he, what we think he wants is to take Claire there to do some doctoring. But it becomes really clear that that's not what he wants. There was an accident at the sawmill. Claire wants to know if she can go and help, you know, help out. Is there anything she can do? Campbell says, thanks, but no. He wants her to give Jamie some of her meds and he'll go. He wants to raid her box. Seriously, though. What the crap was he going to do with anything out of her box? I have no idea. He doesn't know anything about him. Exactly. And there's like how much, and she, even when she was at later in the chapter, when she's there and she's going through it, she's like, well, I've got two different vials here and this vial does that. And that vial does that. He's not going to know. And exactly. how, and, and she would never send him with just a couple of things. She would have to send him with the whole box because they still don't know what they're up against. At no point is the dude saying, this is what happened. This is what needs to be addressed. Come down and let's look at it. He doesn't ever give any kind of indication as to what the actual problem is until they're almost there. Exactly. And that's, that's the problem. There's a lot of talking going on, but not a lot of talking going on. You know, it's more noise and come on, let's go. It's so important. It's so bad. But no, we can't talk about it. And the women here, you guys have to leave. I mean, it's like all I know is there's an accident. We find out a little bit more before they leave, but they won't be clear. They won't be clear. And he like is projecting Claire, leave the room. Mrs. Fraser, leave the room. She's like, uh, yeah, no. Campbell just won't come out and say exactly what's happened. We find out that he's a judge. And because of that, he's been called in to be a judge over over this thing, whatever's going to happen. And he says because of his role, he has to basically keep everything on the up and up. He does not want 
Jocasta to be involved. He does not want, he knows, we learn later what it is, but he knows that given the information we're soon going to find out, there is only one outcome. And that's, and that's just because it's a stupid, bad, hateful law, but it is his duty to uphold the law as it stands. Jocasta is PO'd and she storms off. Here's the law that we learn about. If a black person assaults a white person and causes blood to be shed, he must die for his crime. Does it matter the manner? Does it mean if it's on purpose or an accident? Jamie says that he'll go and he grabs Hector's dueling pistols to take with him. Campbell relates some more information. He was contacted by someone who said that there had been an altercation at the sawmill and it was a matter of the law of bloodshed. He asked Campbell to come at once to render judgment and oversee the execution. So they'd already made up their mind. But again, this is not about whether it's right or wrong. It's not about who started it. And we don't know. We don't know. We just know that at this point, some person who was not white caused someone who was white to bleed. Clear jumps in and asks if he really intends, already assumed that it's coming to an execution without knowing what the guy's done. Claire, again, opens her mouth. Hadn't she learned anything at the slave market? Evidently, no. But she wouldn't be our Claire if she weren't the hashtag. Somebody want to say it? Chaos monster. Yeah, no. She doesn't even want Jamie to be part of it, but he rightly says that he's already involved. As Jocasta's one of her representatives, and Jocasta is the one who introduced him as such, he's involved. Claire then says she'll go, period. There's no getting her not to go. Again, as they approach the sawmill, they are warned that it's no affair for a woman. Jimmy says, I go, she goes. Well, not only that, but he's like, she's seen more, more death, destruction and war than any of you have. And I trust, you know, he's basically saying she's going to be fine. (laughs) You don't have to worry about her. Y'all should worry about yourselves because we're about to go to a lynching. Yeah, or something. Blue Apron is the leading meal kit delivery service in the United States. And while many people know what they do, many people don't know about the types of meals you eat when you cook with Blue Apron. One example for the vegetarians out there or anyone out there is creamy fusilli bucati pasta with fried rosemary and walnuts. Yum. Excuse me while I go taste this over here. You know, lots of people do meat-free Mondays. Actually, it's for anyone. Exactly. And for those of you carnivores amongst the pack... There's also things like strip steak and potatoes with spicy maple collard greens. Honestly, I like anything where they throw in some collard greens. I'm thinking that like that maple looks pretty good. <laughs> I'm just saying. The maple greens. I might take a bite off of your plate. So what's so special about Blue Apron? You can get great ingredients at your local, wherever you buy your groceries. What's so special about Blue Apron? Well, one is their convenience. They deliver fresh, pre-portioned ingredients right to your door. And everything is included. The ingredients, the step-by-step instructions, what everything should look like, etc. Pre-portioned ingredients is the most important thing. <laughs> I mean, if anyone was to ask me what the selling point is of Blue Apron, it would be pre-portioned ingredients. Because I can't tell you how many times I've gone to the store and tried to buy just enough celery for whatever ingre- whatever I'm making because they don't sell it in that recipe. And then I have celery rotting in my fridge for weeks. Other highlights include flexibility. You can choose from among different recipes. Of course, high quality. They send only non-GMO ingredients and meet with no added hormones. 
that's important. Blue Apron is treating Outlander podcast listeners to $30 off your first order if you visit blueapron.com slash Outlander. So check out this week's menu and get your $30 off at blueapron.com slash Outlander. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. The lowdown. The sawmills overseer. Remember that guy we talked about so pr- in, in such wonderful um, words last chapter? <laughs> Burns had an altercation with one of the slaves who, with a large knife he kept for his duty, attempted to remove Burns' head, but he'd only gotten an ear. The unfortunate part in all of this, I mean, it wasn't nice what the guy did, but the unfortunate part is that actually no one really likes Burns. I feel like the real unfortunate part is that he didn't kill him. If he's going to die anyway, wouldn't it have been better if he'd taken the asshole out and earn it if one indeed can? Yes, yes. Others had subdued the slave and locked him in a shed. More on the law of bloodshed. Quote, when a slave must be executed, the slaves from those plantations nearby are brought to watch. Unquote. How much worse can we make this, dudes? Come on now. Jamie replies with, I, I get it. My grandsire, the old fox, had been executed after the rising. Quote, very effective too. All my relations have been quite well behaved since. Unquote. Boom. The unfortunate part, other than the fact that a slave has to die, is that it seems Jocasta had placed Burns as overseer. Or at least could have had him replaced. And he definitely was not a fit. But it was Hector who'd hired him. McNeil... Another gentleman there gives a quip to Claire, quote, there's little worse than a willful woman. They've none to blame, save themselves if harm comes to them, unquote. She responds with, quote, whereas if harm comes to them because of some man, the satisfaction of blaming him will be adequate compensation, unquote. Martina P. writes, Claire, as well as many other characters, always relies on Jamie to have the answers and do the right thing when difficult situations arrive. However, Claire does panic when she's able to read Jamie's usual poker face in an unguarded moment and realizes that he is unsure of the situation, which they have to confront at the mill. So that actually scares Diana writes that that scares more, that scares Claire more than anything. Seeing that Jamie doesn't really even know what he's going to do. As they approach, okay, Summer, listen to listen to this carefully because I had a, I was like, I went to left field. I mean, like Diana, don't do this if you think if Diana has done this before or described something like this before, and it fall and, and you fall for it, but it's actually true. Here's something, and I was like, wait, what? As they approach the sawmill, when Diana writes, "quote the buzzing in my own ears was not from cicadas, voices in the distance, lots of voices." in a deep, angry buzz like a hive of bees turned upside down and shaken, unquote. What was your first thought? Claire and the sound of buzzing. Uh, the stones. Yes. Did you think about this in this chapter? No. Mother, father, girl. No, I didn't. I was thinking about the fact that Davina called them cicadas, and I've always heard them pronounced cicadas. And then I also thought about the fact that her Diana's next book is don't tell the bees I'm gone or whatever it is. And I thought bees. But no, I, I did not think about the stones. Because I've read this book and I know that that's not what's going on right now. I know that, but I'm taking it one bit at a time. But there's the sound of commotion and then a shot. They ride faster and as they arrive, Claire sees the body of a slave impaled on the hook of a crane. 
The noise of the crowd has stopped. Okay, so before we go on with what happens, so you have a lot of voices which may have been like, you know, the not the troops, but like a, a crowd, right? A crowd complaining, a crowd like saying like, please don't, or people fighting, whatever. But where's the, the shot come into this? I mean, would it be like a warning shot maybe? Uh, I have no idea. Because we never hear about that. We just know that this dude gets impaled. Maybe they were keeping people away from it. Yeah, so like a warning shot. So be careful of this. Yeah, so there's a slave impaled on the hook of a crane. Jamie orders the man to be brought down. And once he's down, Claire goes in to see what she can do. To see what she can. And the guy was still alive. It seems Burns had taken matters into his own hands, perhaps. Fellow overseers from nearby plantations were being lectured by Campbell about how they hadn't allowed the law to be followed. And Claire has a freakish thought. Quote, it was slowly dawning on me that the man I touched was possibly not fatally wounded in spite of his horrible injury. Unquote. She thinks she could keep him alive. But what would that mean? She asks Jamie, if I save him, will they let him live? No. She asks for, quote, the third bottle from the left, top row, unquote. She decides to give him, the slave, a better end than what he'd get if she healed him, and then he faced another attack. But she's also aware that what she's doing is grave. Quote, I couldn't ask if this would be his choice. I had made it for him, and having made it, could not ask for either approval or forgiveness. Unquote. This is a far cry from Claire of the reunion in season four, season three, where she kills that guy almost and then makes sure she does a much better job of it by cutting his head open. So as she's holding that vial that Jamie gave her that she asked for in her mind, two things. She's looking at the man. She's already looked at him and she's discerned that the hook that he was on had it had missed his diaphragm so he was still able to breathe his lungs were not punctured it may have damaged a kidney and some other things but it it had literally if you're going to have a hook go through you you want it done to you the way this guy had it done right it it didn't it caused blood loss mo mostly but it didn't seem to have at that moment was not a fatal wound and so she's looking at him and saying okay his his heart is fast but steady all of you know, he's probably in shock. The visible symptoms, the visible signs that he's showing right now are X, Y, Z. And so that's what other people can see because it's important. It's not just what she sees. It's what other people can see. So like if she gave him something that caused him to like vomit right away, she might be suspected, right? So she had to think, okay, so here are his symptoms. If I give him something to help bring him a quick or as smooth as possible death, over time, minutes, hopefully, what would it look like? Because if it's going to look like much different than he's looking right now, they may not call me a witch, may not burn me as a witch, but I might be called in for something, right? If it looks too different than what he is suffering right now. He's going to be, they're going to be upset that their justice has been subverted, if you will. Yes. So the symptoms of the herb she's about to give him are not too unlike what he's already exhibiting. And we learn the name of the herb and it was, or the, the compound was aconite. Martina P writes, this was not the easiest chapter to read, but it does convey the brutality and the law of the times. 
As usual, Claire stands her ground and insists on accompanying Jamie when called upon by Mr. Farquhar Campbell to act as a representative for his Aunt Jocasta. Mr. Campbell strikes me as a good and just man who does have Jocasta's trust. Claire gets to use her medical skills to some extent, but decides to give the slave a merciful death. How conflicted she must have been by her oath, her morale, and her pragmatism. I think she made the right choice. If she had saved the slave, Jamie would have been compelled under the law of South Carolina, except I think this is North Carolina, right? To fulfill the bloodshed. There was an unspoken agreement between Jamie and Claire in this moment. These days, you can get just about anything online and on demand. Did you know that you can even get postage on demand with Stamps.com? Well, you can. With Stamps.com, you can print real U.S. postage for any letter or any package right from your home or office, all available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, when it's convenient for you. Stamps.com will even send you a digital scale so you can weigh your letters and packages and print the exact amount of postage every time. And it's so easy to use, too. Just click, print, mail, and you're done. Stamps.com is such a no-brainer. Stamps.com will save you so much time. You can access all the services of the post office right from your desk. It's never been easier to send out your letters and packages. Here at the Outletter Podcast, we're really busy. So we rely on Stamps.com to print our shipping labels so that we can send out our giveaways and our Beltane blessings at Beltane time of year. And it, it honestly, it couldn't be easier. Now, we've even worked out a special offer with Stamps.com for our listeners that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Outlander. That's Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Outlander. And now on to chapter 12, entitled The Return of John Quincy Myers' Balls. I mean, John Quincy Myers. I knew you were going to say something like that. I actually think you said that last time we chatted about it. I did. Our wee fam settles into life at River Run, though the presence of the slaves does make Claire uncomfortable, as it should. <laughs> for real, for real, though, let's be honest. She's uncomfortable with this slave element, but she's about to get real uncomfortable with a ball element because we know that's what's coming. She takes up in Jocasta's Simple's room to do her healing work or just at least some, to store some stuff. She's also trying to learn spinning from Jocasta. And I know those of us who read the books know that, you know, no spoilers, but um, there's eight books and Claire's still alive. I don't think that's a spoiler. So somewhere in those eight books, or sorry, six more, four more books. I can't count five in these five books, including this one. They are alive, so they have to live and then wear clothing. So it shouldn't be too far off base to say she might. I mean, her learning the skill is not unhelpful. Spinning? Yeah. It's, I mean, let's be honest. It is a skill that she will find use for living out in the middle of nowhere. It's helpful for any person back in the day. So what I'm saying is, because I was about to make fun of her, I'm still going to. But okay, it's not that she won't or can't or couldn't make use of it. She totally could. But it's so kind of like, oh, that's so cute to think of 
Claire doing, I mean, I know she does work. She's not just a healer. She she cooks. She does a lot. She does everything she needs to do. She made candles that one time. At band camp? She made candles that one time. With Jenny? At band camp. She made candles that one time with Jenny. Where was, it was at Lallybrough, right? Sure. When she, when she cooked, <laughs> when she cooked all the potatoes. Yeah. So potato I, I'm not making fun of her, but it is kind of cute to say, oh, it's hard to sometimes imagine Claire having the patience to learn something like spinning. When you say spinning, I keep imagining her on a bicycle. Oh gosh. Taking a spin. Oh, not me. But, but either way, to be honest, if I was going to ask for Jocasta to teach me to do anything, it would not be spinning with fabric or anything like that. I'd be like, show me how to paint because that's clearly her actual skill. She's yeah. So while she was there with Jocasta, Jamie spent time with Ulysses learning about the managing of the of the house and its accounts. Jamie is helping out with the house as he is able. We don't know if it's from morning till night, but while everyone else is out doing something, everyone as on a homestead, which this isn't technically this is a plantation, but everyone has a job. Everyone has something to do. Something to do. Jocasta wants to hold a dinner party to introduce the family, her new family, to the community. Jamie is feeling a bit useless, as is Claire, as a physician. So Jamie doesn't feel like he really has a lot to do, and Claire, as a physician, feels completely useless. And so Fergus had left the day before for Jamaica to bring back Marsali and Le Bebe in the spring. We, we hope he is. Diana writes, we hope he does. <laughs> And as soon, okay, Summer already, Summer already kind of stole my thunder. So please don't ever do this again because I promise you, I promise you, I will get there. You're welcome. Oh, shush. I get so few options. At other such, well, actually, the title was not titillating. The content was titillating. So I, it doesn't surprise me you said something. But you stole my thunder because what I have at this point is as soon as I read the title of the chapter, I thought, well, wait, what did you think, Summer? I thought balls. 100% balls. And the reason I thought balls is because the last time we met Mr. John Quincy Myers, he legitimately tried to show her his balls in the street and was talking about how all of his balls and he wanted one less ball. One less balls. That being said, when he returns, one less ball. One less balls. So singular. That's what I said. One yeah, Ginger, it doesn't matter. Just, I'm being or you're being or, you're being funny. Yes. Okay. And I'm, I'm trying to be funny. Anyway, <laughs> my whole point being when he shows up again, <laughs> it's with the understanding that he's there to have a ball removed. So I am totally on board for the journey of the ball removal with John Quincy Myers, my favorite new addition to this book. In response to the drama and sadness at the sawmill, Jocasta wants to throw a party. Hmm. First up, Claire needs a new gown. But there's no time for that. There's a little bit She'll of time. She'll have to have one of, not for a new gown. She'll have to have one of Jocasta's to be redesigned. There's enough time to worry through the ones that Jocasta already has in her closet. She'll have to have one of Jocasta's redesigned for her. So it's a green dress that they choose. And that's what I got out of it. So there's a lot of description of this. Um, I got that it's green, that it's got striping and the end, the final There were product, several dresses. There were several dresses. One several of the dresses pieces, was yeah. brown, was brown. And there was a discussion between 
Phaedra and Jocasta about whether or not it worked with her skin tone. And then finally, when she shows up at the party, they've gone with a striped, I believe, a cream and striped green well, it's, dress. It's green. Yes. But it and it also they I don't know if it they had to let it out a little bit for, in the bosom and take it in at the waist, I think. Dude, I'm like, there's a part where you're like, OK, that's a little offensive to talk about how she's so much big, like bigger than you. But then she was talking about it with her bazooms. So I was like, all right, no one's going to be offended when you say her boobs are bigger. I don't think anyone's ever been offended by and being they told also, their boobs were too I don't, big. I think it was part of the kind of, not camouflaging, but part of making it more artistic it, since they had to let it out. Um, they use some slashes of Valenciennes lace. This would probably be something we might see in season four, just maybe, maybe. Slashes of lace? No, the dress. Given the fact that Terry Dresbach created an outfit that Claire wore for three quarters of the season, I am not going to say that she will not do this. This is right in line with the things that Terry Dresbach has done, which is taking something that already exists and making, making it work for a new purpose. So she's repurposing. So I love that. I think she's going to do it. I'm excited about it. I mean, it's not going to be the same as repurposing the bat dress for everything that happened from that moment on. However, I think that in the spirit of that dress, she will have a repurposed dress from Jocasta. Jocasta asks what color Claire's hair is. <laughs> Quote, you sound a bit blonde somehow. <laughs> Unquote. Now, I, I don't know. <laughs> that bitch. I wonder if there's anything meant other than the pure color description, by Fedra's telling Jocasta that Claire's eyes looked like a tiger's. No, there was totally something meant. She totally was like, she's like giving you the bitch face. And then all of a sudden Jocasta was like, okay, then I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to put your clothes the way you want them. Because in response to Fedra saying that Claire's eyes looked like a tiger's. No, but it wasn't just a tiger. It was a tiger from a book that she knew she'd seen, which sounded like a very aggressive tiger. In response to her telling Tocasta that Claire's eyes looked like a tiger's, a specific tiger's, quote, an expression of startlement showed briefly on Tocasta's face, unquote. And, quote, she didn't touch me again. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Message received. Oh, my goodness. Message received, Phaedra. The result is apparently breathtaking. Ulysses, at least, is affected. And then he freaks the freak out about something and leaves her on the stairs. It took me a hot second. I had to read, like, obviously further. It was not obvious to me at first what happened. I was like, what? He enjoys it. And then, of course, it makes sense. He had forgotten, and I hate to say this, it's so painful. He had forgotten his place, unfortunately. And that made me sad because the fact that you couldn't even, because he wasn't trying to like diddle her. The fact that you can't even like show a human reaction, show a human, whatever. And I grant, I get it. It was about the mistresses, the master's like friend or family member. I, I get it. It's inappropriate, but still. No, but you also, I mean, you have to imagine that if drawing blood on any, any white person was an automatic death sentence, offending because almost any other white woman who was given a, an appraising an appraising gaze by a slave would probably be super offended in that time period that if if it's based on the offense 
of a white person as opposed to just a blood offense, I can't imagine there would be repercussions for sure. But with the recent sawmill events and the fact that Claire et al. were still recently arrived, he doesn't know, he didn't know in the book, if he could completely trust them. He probably has hopes that he can, but he just, he, he knows that he can really, truly only trust Jocasta because that's like, he is literally her right hand, right hand or left hand man. Because she can't see, she can't see him appraising her. He can't trust, he can't trust Claire because she can see like he can, he's gotten used to being around a blind person who can't judge him based upon a look he makes. Yeah. Based upon the physical appearance of anything. So it's just based on the content of character and, you know, the conversations they have. Whereas he's forgotten because he's been in a house with the only white person being someone who doesn't judge them based on, you know, X, Y, and Z. And so now you have this woman who comes in who can see all those things and he's forgotten himself in that moment. And he, all he can see is the potential for all the negative repercussions that can come from his actions. Jamie is in full regalia. I love this. And we learned that the kilt, the whole shebang, had been Hector's. And he has something that's bothering him, but there's no time to tell her yet, right now. He leaves her with Claire. Quote, will you stand ready at dinner? If I should signal to you, will you make a diversion right then? Unquote. And he doesn't care what type. <laughs> the guest list to the party are a who's who of Cape Fear River gentry. Lots of Highlander names, names from the Isles, and lots of Gaelic is spoken. There were also non-Scots guests, a Quaker named Herman Husband, a man named Hunter, and Philip Wiley. Remember him from Lilling- Lillington's dinner? And he still, again... Still, still has eyes for Claire. Still a dick. Oh, Lord. Yes. (laughs) He's super dick. Like, for real, he's the only difference between him and any of the other dandies they dealt with in France is perhaps he doesn't have a beauty mark that's in the shape of a heart on his face. But he has a star. Okay, he's worse. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) He's there as a guest of a dude he bought horses from. Uh, Yes, he's into horses and he admires Claire a lot, a lot. And then quotes poetry to her. Ugh. She legit asks him how old he is. <laughs> he says 25. And she says that she's old enough to be his mom. He doesn't care. And then he says, Ugh. may I call you memo? Never okay. What? That's like saying to your honey, may I call you daddy? No. No, no. I want you to know that if any dude comes into my life and thinks it's hot to be called daddy, I'm done. I immediately walk away from that because I have a daddy and I love him and he doesn't expect sexual things from me because he's my actual fucking Uh, father. You can bicycle, you can bicycle horn the crap out of that. But that's my whole point. I have a daddy. I'm not looking for another one. I don't think it's sexy. Claire asks Ulysses to make sure Wiley is seated near her at dinner. Hmm. And at first I was like, okay, why in the heck would you do that? Because he annoys you so. You know why. She won't. You know why. Well, she knows that with him there, it's, it would be an easy, it would be very easy to do a distract to, to make a distraction. Diversion. Excuse so me. I would like, to, uh, look, if I've been told by my sig- significant other 
that he may or may not need me to make a scene. The only thing I have at dinner, mind you, a scene at dinner. The only things that I have at hand to make a scene with are my utensils, which means I may get to stab one of these mofos with one of my utensils. I want to put somebody next to me that I want to stab. And he is definitely stab material. Michael M. writes, I, unlike most other people, would have looked for an opportunity to stab, not to draw blood, of course, someone with a fork at a formal dinner if someone had asked me to be prepared to do so. Claire decides that this particular distraction was the best of the options Jamie gave her upon reintroduction of Mr. W- to Mr. Wiley. <sighs> so Claire ends up between Mr. Wiley and the Quaker. Jamie was still gone and didn't appear until it was time to sit at the table. Herman's husband answers Claire's inquiry about the regulators. So Diana begins little by little. This is not the first time, but she definitely begins to pepper in some of this American history and not just like, oh, for for shiggles, but legit backstory, backstory to the book, this and like basically the rest of the series. Husband answers Claire's inquiry about the regulators. He says that questions should go to Mr. Hunter, who is across from her. And she wants to know about the area and its safety while they keep while privately they keep the governor's offer in mind. Because if it ain't safe, then uh, maybe not, Gov. Regulators, she is told, are loosely assembled. Opinions about the regulators include that they are rabble, lawless, and inclined to violence. Hunter says, nope, they just want justice, which can't be gained by violence. And the two men are going on back and forth. Michael M. writes, The first time I read drums, I did not realize how much I was learning about colonial America and the seeds that would lead to the American Revolution. Two of the dinner guests and the non-Gaelic guests that were seated by Claire were historical figures. Herman Husband and Mr. Hunter were actual people, just as real as Governor Tryon. General Washington. (laughs) Not here. I don't think he's he in his book. He wrote, no, no, he's not. He said general warning. And I said general Washington. <laughs> you did. I was I'll here. I'll leave that in there because that's funny. General warning. Don't research any historical figure you encounter in the series if you don't want spoilers. <laughs> Fair enough. So Claire hears voices and realizes it's Duncan and not Donuts. John Quincy Myers appears. He is drunk off his bleed or bleep and looking for Claire. Looks like Claire needs to operate stat. And Jamie said he wanted a diversion. (laughs) So she's like, let's do it. They bring him into the salon salon and put him on the table and he okay this guy is drunk as i think i said that he's drunk as a skunk and he's literally about to pass out and they, they give him a little bit more brandy or whiskey or something and it does the job claire puts on a leather butchering apron sleeves her dress sleeves are pinned back candles are brought in she sloshes a good amount of brandy over his dark and curly area and then young ian pipes up there he is Good to see we Ian had we Ian. Good to see young Ian. Wouldn't miss the wouldn't miss the the sight. And he brought her wee box, her wee medical box. She disinfects her blades, gets her supplies ready, and her assistance. Quote, long legs raised and spread, unquote. Oh no. Ulysses is cupping the um Aya. 
and she goes to town. That sounds super inappropriate <laughs> the way you just stated that. I'm just saying somebody's cupping his balls and somebody went to town and somebody went to town. <laughs> oh, Thank yeah, you. that's wrong. I'm telling Sorry. you. Claire went to town. At least it's different, different people. Oh, Lord. It really isn't better <laughs> when you no. get somebody else. Michael M. writes, upon his arrival, John Quincy Myers presents himself properly prepared for the pending procedure. Okay, thanks for the peas, Michael. Here we get to see Dr. Claire at work. With Jamie's support, even though he says... He may ne'er have the courage or the money to get that drunk again. Jamie is really thinking this will make my wife happy. Therefore, I should encourage her to do the surgery. Claire performs the surgery with an audience at hand. Later, she's drunk due to all the toasts to her in her honor <laughs> because of the successful surgery. And she makes an excuse to escape and to go upstairs and check on her patient. She thinks that whatever had been going to happen, the whole thing that Jamie needed her to create a diversion for had been forestalled, but for how long? We don't know. Forget that. I think she gave more than enough of a diversion because stabbing somebody with a fork is one thing. Showing off a giant mountain man's balls, cutting into them and shoving an inguinal hernia back into the dude's body. That has to give more points than stabbing somebody with a fork. Not about points because the diversion would have been at Jamie's timing. This was not Jamie's timing. And this came, this definitely, I mean, it absolutely was a diversion. And who knows what the thing was that was going to happen? Who knows what it didn't go down or a missed opportunity, whatever was going to happen that didn't happen. Who knows? But Jamie, and it didn't matter if this could have been timed, it would have been awesome. But because Jamie hadn't put up a thing or done a thing or pulled his ear, I think he said he hadn't done his sign. And then this was not in response to Jamie's request for a diversion. Also, Jamie was there as the anesthetist, like a, a, a pseudo anesthesiologist. He, he was monitoring his breathing. He couldn't have gone and done anything if indeed he had to go be somewhere. He didn't need to be anywhere once that dude showed up drunk, ready for his balls to be chopped yeah, off. But if he's causing a diversion that may have been for, well, obviously for people's attention to be covered in one area or a, drawn in one area while something else occurred in another area or a nearby area, which he, he may he may not have had to be in that other area. He just wanted to make sure that the attention stayed where the diversion was. But because it wasn't in on his timing at his you know, request time-wise. That's why she's like, I don't know what he had planned, but I gave him, I gave him a diversion. It just, who knows if it line, uh, aligned time-wise. So she's not sure if the thing that was supposed to happen actually got to happen. And Jamie follows her up the stairs and he tells her they must talk. And that was chapter 12. Join us next time when we discuss chapter 13 entitled An Examination of Conscience. As always, join us to continue the conversation in our Facebook community. Find us at outlanderpod.com slash group. And if you want to be a part of our Drums of Autumn read-along, visit outlanderpod.com slash DOA for all the details. If you love our show and are entertained by it, or just like it a lot, please visit a lot, a lot, please visit our Patreon page and consider supporting us. Every bit helps cover our costs, be it hosting, recording, equipment, giveaways, etc. There are also a number of free ways to help support our show. And the most important way you can support us is to help spread the word. Tell your friends and family about our show and subscribe in your favorite podcasting app. 
Thank you, as always, so much for joining us. We look forward to our next episode. Thank you to our generous partner, Zencaster, who offers high-fidelity podcasting. Check out Zencaster and use coupon code OUTLANDER20, OUTLANDER20, for 20% off three months or 20% off for a year. Connect with us. Visit our website at outlanderpod.com. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash outlanderpod. We'd love for you to join our Facebook community at outlanderpod.com slash group. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at outlanderpod.